IDs. I have a million IDs. I wake up in the morning with three IDs. But it's all about execution. How do you get things to happen? I like people who are, I have fun being around. Like it's really important. If you're not going to have a beer with this guy, don't work with him. I just had in my mind the conviction that someone needs to do this. Welcome to Add to Cart, Australia's leading e-commerce podcast that express delivers all you need to know in the fast-moving world of online retail. Every week, Nathan Bush from eSuite and an e-commerce industry expert will share the news, research and insights that you need to know to keep you at the top of your game. And of course, keep your customers adding to cart. Hello and welcome to Add to Cart. My name is Nathan Bush, host of Add to Cart and director at e-commerce talent agency eSuite. Today, we have a self-confessed crazy idea guy. His words, not mine, Nati Harpaz. Many of you who have been in e-commerce for a while will know Nati from his time as managing director at Catch and as the director, CEO and chairman of Octomedia, which publishes Inside Retail. Today, Nati joins me as the co-founder and the executive director of Trade Square. It's a new wholesale one-stop shop for business and it allows over 150 thousand products to be sold in one place to 8,000 plus buyers. Recently, TradeSquare announced TradeSquare Connect, which also allows retailers to turn into wholesalers. Now, as you would expect from someone as experienced as Nati, we have a cracker of an episode. We cover topics like the differences between B2B and B2C, why product managers and trading managers are the most crucial roles in e-commerce in his view, and why he didn't do any research before launching TradeSquare. He just went for it. He went with his gut. But I feel things go up a level in the second half of our chat, where we ask Nadi for his personal advice, and we get a load of gems around his way of getting shit done, playing to your strengths, the people he surrounds himself with, and his advice for those considering their next e-commerce career move. Honestly, there's so many... Little pieces of gold in there, delivered in Nardi's no BS style that really hit home for me. So let's get into it. Thanks to our partners, Shopify Plus and Signet, here's our conversation with Nati Harpez, co-founder and executive director at TradeSquare. Nardi, welcome to Add to Cart. Thanks, mate. You're sitting on your balcony and I was like, where are you from? We did the whole COVID chat before and I said, where, yeah. are, you, where are you at? And I was like, oh, I'm in Brisbane. You were like, oh, look where I am. Turns the laptop around, beautiful coastal yeah. view. You're in Cyprus. Yeah, I am. It's a little island with only about a million people, which is kind of weird. There's hardly any traffic. You can park anywhere you want. It's like warm nine months of the year. So... It's really hot in summer, so it's a great lifestyle. Beautiful. And you've been doing a bit of traveling lately? Yeah, that's the best thing about it. Cyprus is part of the European Union. So they treat the European Union, if you got either vaccine or you got a PCR test, you can go anywhere. So last week I was in Amsterdam for a, for a conference, in a fintech conference, and now I'm just here in Cyprus. Uh, there's a retail conference, actually a web conference in Portugal in November. I might be awesome. there as well. So it's actually... It's great to be around here. I'm, I'm kind of I'm waiting to see Australia open as well and everyone getting back into their lives. That's it. I think we're all hanging out for that first retail conference back in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> now, we are here to discuss Trade Square. It's your um, latest venture and obviously you've got 
a really fantastic and long history in retail and e-commerce. But it's it's Trade Square that we'll start with, I think. Yeah. You strike me as a person who isn't short of ideas or opportunities in, in what you're doing, yeah. but you have focused in on Trade Square as what you're leading right now. What was the thing that made you go all in with Trade Square? I've always had this idea of building a platform for, for businesses to buy, right? I mean, if you think about it, if I'm a business and I want to buy products for my businesses as wholesale or in bulk, it, nobody offers that. There was a period of time I was thinking about doing it at Catch, but it was just, it's very hard to run a B2C and a B2B platforms at the same time. Uh, it's a different way of thinking about it. It's a different technology stack. There's so many differences. So when I left Catch, I still had that idea in mind, but then COVID-19 was the catalyst because I was thinking about and initially, by the way, the idea was to focus on gift and homer only because I was thinking about, you know, AGHA fairs and read fairs and all these fairs are now being suspended. Little mom and dad shops and gift shops, et cetera, which are used to travel to this store and find they've got nowhere else to go. And if you try to go online and find, okay, where can I find, let's say you want to look for candles as an example. I mean, there'll be 150 different brands of candles, maybe 50 or 60 Australian made, maybe some international wholesalers, there's nowhere you can go and find what's the range available. Then what are the prices? What is the review? What are people saying about it? How can I get some trading terms? So for the small business, COVID-19 made life even more difficult. So that actually was was one thing. The other thing is I was having conversation with a, with a wholesaler who was telling me what are the challenges for him selling to um, small businesses. In the old days, you had a sales rep. They'll go to the stores, they'll show them and they'll sell. It become almost impossible to do that. A, it's expensive to send someone down. So it increases the cost of goods. And in a world where online is creating direct channel to customers, having a sales rep walk around, it adds such a significant cost to the cost of goods that stores can never compete with online as an example. Now, all stores also have online. So it makes it difficult. The other thing is it's hard to collect money from them and get them to pay. They all want credit terms. And all, everything is sort of manual. So it made perfect sense. What I didn't do, which is very interesting, I didn't do much research in terms of international, what's going on international. I just had in my mind the conviction that someone needs to do this. Someone needs to build a B2B marketplace to help small businesses on the one hand who want to buy product and on the other one, and on the other hand, small businesses who want to sell products. So we have a, a candy maker from Byron Bay, right? We have a, um, a Northern Territory um, makers of deodorant. Right. And they called it stinky pie, you know, stinky pizza, <laughs> something, whatever. It's like, oh, they call, sorry, smelling chickens. That's how it's called, smelling chickens. And I thought that's brilliant. Only in the Northern Territory. Yeah. So the thing is, if you're a small maker of, I mean, we got a guy in Queensland who makes chopping boards, right? He does it. How do you wholesale? I mean, how do you go to the 150,000 small uh, stores around Australia and say, hey, buy my chopping board? It's impossible. Having a platform right. like us, democratizes in a way the wholesale. So not only the big end of town who have big resources and sales, a small wholesale now with a small a small maker can now uh, reach out to thousands of small stores. So that was the idea started. And then I had a conversation with a few uh, retailers, actually, not wholesalers, that had vertical integrated products, right? So they had their own white label and brands. And they said, look, we really want to also wholesale, but we don't want to wholesale to our competitors or to other retailers but we are selling to councils. Let's say, say for example, it was a baby retailer. He said, we sell to councils, we sell to childcare. So we would love to join your platform, but we only want to sell to these channels. 
So then that's the idea went from a wholesale to retail. So gift and homeware to slightly wider um, category. And the way we build the platform allows you as a seller, as a wholesaler, to choose the channels you want to sell to and blacklist the ones you don't want to. So we have sellers who are saying, we don't sell to retail. We only sell to hospitality, et cetera. We sell to online. We don't. So we allow customers, uh, our sellers, to really customize their proposition. Right. And then from there on, we build lots of features. Wholesale is very different. I mean, there's a minimum order on a SKU level. So our platform needs to support that. There's discounts, volume discounts. So we need to support that. Then we need to support value, order value. So you might say, you know, minimum 10 per SKU, but also minimum $500 per cut. So if you buy on a platform and you get to 300, it will tell you, you got to add another $200 from this seller. But then you can have in one cut, you can buy from 10 different sellers. I mean, we had a customer who bought from 15 different sellers in one cart. Now imagine, imagine a little store, if she had to go now and buy 15 different wholesalers, it's 15 different purchase orders, it's 15 different payments, and it's 15 different tracking to see where my order. On a trade score in one order, she can actually... And if you think about what, what is a small business, it's a mom and dad operator. They do, they probably stand in the front of the shop half the time selling, right? They train the staff, they stock the shelves, they have to do the buying. Then they do the accounting at the end of the day. So their life is already difficult. Mm. If we can help them make their life easier. The other the interesting thing we've done recently is we signed a partnership with the um, news agency association as a, and, and we signed up like a few thousand news agencies who are buying from us. Now that world is changing as well because, you know, um, sales of newspapers and magazines going down and these guys need to turn from being a news agent to a retailer in a way. Yep. And, this works perfectly for them because all of a sudden they're now buying toys, they're buying pet accessories, they're buying candle, things they can sell in a news agency. And we're getting amazing feedback from them, how happy they are. So we are helping them transform their business. And I'm essentially saying one of my, the things, I mean, it worked in catch, it worked in my, in my retail business. Whenever you put new stock, fresh stock sells, it, it works like magic. Mm-hmm. I remember we had a jewelry business. We had a delivery every week of new ranges. We put it in the window. It's the first thing that gets sold. So, so you know, I'm saying the same thing for these guys. Don't focus on buying container loads or buying pallet loads or importing from China. Buy fresh stock on a regular basis every fortnight. Put it in your store. Your sales will be amazing because customers feel that it's, it's fresh, it's new. You can look on our platform what's trending, what's selling. It might cost you a few percentage points more than just importing directly from China. But your life is going to be faster, um, easier, yeah. more efficient, and ultimately you'll get better sales. Makes total sense. It must, some of the rules that you've set up for B2B and wholesale must make trading on platforms like Catch look like a breeze. Some yeah, of the complexity it in it. Yeah. It is. But we, I mean, we have um, Anat, who's my co founder and CEO. She's an unbelievable um, CEO. And she's really just got it. And she's built an amazing development team. So, you know, for me, everyone's asked me, what is the most critical role in e-commerce these days? I mean, I, I would say one of the main critical roles is the product manager. Mm. The guy who actually decides how you design the website and what looks how looks at the numbers and makes the changes. That and the trading guy, the guy who buys yeah. the stock, the buying, not the selling, the buying. You know, Gabby, Gabby always said, you make money when you buy, not when you sell. Right? <laughs> yes, I um, love that quote and, of his. And, and, and Warren, and by the way, he copied it from Warren Buffett. He said, you make money from stock when you buy, not when you sell. It was funny because when we were doing the roadshow for the, the non-deal roadshow for catch, because we were on the way to IPO, 
We were in Hong Kong in an office of uh, one of Alibaba's biggest investors. And on the wall, they had the quote from Warren Buffett. You know, you make money when you buy, not myself. So Gabby and I was, it was so funny. <laughs> so, you know, it's the same thing here. You need to buy good. You need to buy well. And then it's easy to sell the stock. Stationary brand Milligram are the prodigal sons of Shopify. Starting life 10 years ago as a Shopify store before packing their bags for an adventure with another platform, Milligram are back over to Shopify Plus. Milligram now have over 100 employees and four physical stores. So they needed a platform that had integrated content and commerce, reduced technical debt, the ability to have promos live immediately, and most of all, be reliable in peak season. As an added bonus, they were able to optimize their search bar conversion rate from 4% to almost 8% with Shopify Plus. Now that's something to write home to mum about. To read more of Milligram's story and to see other case studies, visit the customer section on shopify.com.au forward slash plus. Do you find that a lot of e-commerce businesses, they've invested a lot in people to sell the stock, whether that be website optimization, developers, things that basically help get it out. But there doesn't seem to be that transition from traditional retail where traditional retail teams are very big on the the buying teams. Yeah. That doesn't seem to transition over to e-commerce teams as much yet. Well, not not in the pure play sense. In uh, retailers who have stores and uh, have you know good buying systems and buying teams, then they they do really well online. Hmm. But if you start uh, a pure online uh, business, I mean either you have your own brand and your own vertical product and you're building a brand and that's different because then it's your product. Mm. But if you're trying to buy and sell, you really need to know. And, and one of the things that work really well at Catch is, you know, uh, Gabi and Hezi, they grew up in a retail environment. Their dad was a retailer. So they knew all about buying products. They used to go to the markets. They sold on eBay. So that was their DNA. When I came into Catch, actually, so Gabi and Hezi were quite, you know, they walked away a little bit from the business. They had management. They allowed management. And one of the things that, 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 that I saw, uh, when I came into the business is exactly that problem, right? Yeah. I went to, um, Kalman Pola. Kalman is actually, it's just been announced yesterday as the CEO of, uh, myself, just been appointed. Mm, so congratulations, Kalman, if you're listening. <laughs> He's my brother and I wish him all the best. I went, I had a call with, I had a chat with Kalman and I had a chat to Guy. Guy was the, uh, and they were sort of the very senior in the buying and, and merchandising team. And, you know, when I started my role, I just said to them, tell me what you need. I'm not here to tell you what to do. You've been here for a long time. You tell me what needs to happen for this business to be successful. Mm. And I said with every team member, actually, and I had a conversation with everyone. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, that resonated with me with both Guy and Carmen, they said the same thing. One thing they said, take the shackles off. We feel like we've had shackles. We've had these management who run the business like it's an Excel sheet. And all they care about is, is aging stock, clear stock, move stock, discount, discount, numbers. We're not getting the basics right. Mm. And they were in a bit of a spiral there. So it was one of the first things we fixed was the, the, the buying. And, and then the function is, is the selling. And I mean, I, th- this is a whole podcast. The, if I tell you the journey <laughs> about catch is a whole story about the transformation we did, the work we've done. It was fundamental. It was from yeah. buying to merchandising to marketing, to branding, to marketplace. I mean, I can, I can talk about it for hours, but absolutely right. I think the point you made around uh, buying, buying leads to selling. And by the way, in catch, the buyers were involved in the selling as well. Yeah. So 
they were the one buying it and they were the one determining what price it sells for. And they were accountable for the, um, the sell through and they were accountable for the discounting. Yes, there was some promotional overhead, but we didn't have someone coming in and, and, and slashing the price without the buyer being part of the conversation. Oh, it's so important for product or buying teams to be connected with marketing or website product owners to understand what needs to shift and for them to work together, whether, yeah. whether it's the same person on both sides or you see a huge breakdown in there yeah. constantly. On Katia, well, is it? I mean, Katia, we even t- took it to the extreme where the buyer was actually involved in the design of the banner of the product he's selling. <laughs> so, you know, we have, we call them events. So you'll have an event for, I don't know, footwear. So the buyer will write the brief. So the so a buying team had a sales coordinator, so someone who comes to sell the buyer and the buyer admin, mm-hmm. you know, buying coordinator. So it's a team of three per category in the same. I mean, it could be bigger categories, but that's the structure. So the buyer will then say, "We want to sell, I don't know, evening footwear, for example, or sports footwear." So they'll write a brief that goes to marketing. The marketing then comes back with the design. The buyer and the sales co- will look at it and say, I don't like this. I don't like that. It doesn't show because he knows, for example, if he has 50 pairs of shoes in the event, he knows which top three shoes are the ones should be showing in the banner. He's been there. He's done it for a few years. So our, our buyers were, all, were online people. They were not buyers that come from, they're not thinking about shelf. They're thinking about banner, thinking web. Yeah. So you need buyers to think web. So th- that's how, that's how deeply they got involved in the sort of selling and the buying process. Now, you mentioned before, there's a huge difference between B2C and B2B. And having been on both sides of those, what advice would you give to people who might be listening to this who are running a great B2C business or a D2C business and going, maybe I need to open this up to B2B as well? What do you think they need to think about? I mean, the first question is why? Why do you want to open for B2B? And there are are a few reasons. Actually, I think... It's very good for the brand. So think about, I don't know, you're a, um, you sell candles or you sell cosmetics or you sell home care or you sell TVs. And then all of a sudden your product appears in the, in uh, hotels, right? So you have an hotel and you, and you have a beautiful hand wash in a nice, nice, nice packaging with great smell, with great quality, but you're the only one selling it. It's not, it's going to be very difficult to turn it into a real brand. If you can do, if you can sell it to a hospitality business and have it sitting in, I don't know, 20 hotels, then, then actually elevates the brand because people also get to experience it. It's quite similar to the idea of the, you know, of the box thing where you put your things in a box as a marketing. It's essentially also a marketing tool. Yep. So marketing and branding is one reason to do wholesale. The other thing is, I mean, uh, economies of scale. I mean, B2C is great, but wholesale, you might sell at a lower margin, but you sell a lot more volume, which gives you mm. buying power, which gives you scale, which gives you a lot of power. So, so there's definitely a big, um, a big opportunity with wholesale. And, and again, where are you taking business from? So if you, th- I mean, so sometimes people are saying, Oh, well, am I competing against my business? But in reality, you're not everywhere and you're not the one selling everything. And there are other businesses selling similar products. So if you sell, so let's say, for example, uh, baby products, for example. So you might say, look, I'm not wholesaling, I'm only retailing. Great. But the council who needs to buy now 50 cots or need to buy, I don't know, whatever, they want to buy two or 300 pieces. So it's unlikely they'll come to you as a retailer. Mm. They want to buy wholesale. So they'll, they'll find a distributor or the wholesaler who sells it. So that's another opportunity. And then the question is, 
how do you facilitate it? So most retailers and most platforms don't have an online platform for wholesale. The way they do it is sometimes they, they get a call or they ask, okay, send me an order by email. It's, it's very manual. It's very difficult. And that's where we come into play and say, well, actually, we can help you turn from a retailer to wholesaler. The platform protects you from cannibalization of your own uh, direct channel for, in a few ways. I mean, a, to, you can't see prices on our platform. You have to sign in. You have to apply. Once we approve you, you can see prices. But then there's also minimum order values. So if you're a customer, you're not going to spend, you're not going to buy 10 cots or, you know, five. You're going to buy one. That's mm. what you need. So we protect your um, direct-to-consumer channel by, by minimum order, both on a quantity level, but also on an order value level. So we, we really manage that process of protection. So, but again, back to what you're thinking. First of all, always, I always ask why. Why do you want to do wholesale? But I mean, we done, we got Cheapest Chips, which is a bigger, big retailer as a wholesaler. And you ask them why? And they say, well, because we actually have sometimes people coming to our stores and asking us about wholesale. Mm. Now, we don't want a, a, start, a sales rep in the store who is serving customers to start dealing with someone asking them, okay, but I want to buy 50 of this <laughs> or I want to buy 40 of that. It's on, not efficient. And then they actually don't have the tools or capability of doing it. So the best thing to say is if you want to buy wholesale, go to our shop on Trade Square and you buy it there. Yes. The, the, the model that we have is a, is a relatively low cost model to the retailer to become a wholesaler. So when you work out the fact that we, we facilitate the transaction, we pay the metric, we do all that for what we charge, it's a no brainer yeah. in a way. And is it, um, the commercial model, is it a percentage of sale? Yes. Yep. It's just okay. a marketplace model. It's a commission. We have two models. I mean, uh, a model or a marketplace general model, which is the, it's a commission of, of, of sales. And then we have what we call Trade Square Connect. And Connect is, so in a general marketplace, we bring the customers. In a Connect, the, the business brings the customer to us in a way. Yep. So they'll put a link on their website that says, if you want to buy wholesale from us, click here to shop on our page on Trade Square. That, that creates a link from the website into our website where they land on the page. And then if they refer the customer to us, we charge them a much lower commission because essentially we look at ourselves as a booking system, as an ordering system, not as a marketplace being customer. So they, they pay a very low fee. And in addition, at least at this point in time, we give them the, the every time a first customer comes, we give them a hundred dollar off the first order. Okay. So now they, they're sending the customer to us, but we, we're also funding a hundred dollar off transaction. So it's a great incentive for their customers and it's a great, great for them because they get bigger orders. They get $500, 600. I mean, our average order is like $700. Yeah. Okay. Good. And it's, it's interesting that you use the physical retail analogy around dealing with customers versus dealing with people who want to buy wholesale. And, and I think it's yeah. the same online as well in that what you're creating there is that when people go, Oh, I'll just create a B2B and there's a plug-in for it, but it's actually not that simple when you've got to create different no. pricing structures and a different experience to that D2C online, right? I mean, so first you got to sign up the customer and onboard them. So are you going to? You're not going to approve everyone automatically. So you got to check the form. So someone in the office now needs to look at the application form and say yes or no. In our business, it happens in real time. Then the customer might want credit. Give me 30 days credit. Are you willing to take a risk of 30 or 60 days? We do. So we, we, we give them 30 days net, uh, which will probably increase to 60 days very soon. So we're giving them credit. Then we also allow you to block the customer pricing metrics. For example, most platforms don't support minim- both minimum SKU on a different SKU, minimum order value, and then telling a customer is missed and how he can fulfill that and add up 
all those different features are quite complicated. And then ultimately, we're also a marketing platform, mm. right? Like we bring the businesses to you. We bring your customers. I mean, we had a we had a butcher shop who spent $2,500 buying knives. And then the other thing we're actually selling a lot right now is we're selling... Um, we had a few butcher shops who bought spices and, you know, the different things you can find in butcher shops now. So think about it. I mean, it's so easy for them to buy on Trade Square at wholesale. That's amazing. And then exactly yeah. what you said that you're bringing, it is a marketplace. So you're bringing the customers as well as yep. the technology. You've got some great retailers on there. You've got over yep. um, 100 Trade Square Connect partners. And I noticed that you've onboarded partners like Koala, yep. which is really interesting because Koala aren't, they're pretty well known for being pretty good at the tech side of it. Yep. What is it that you find really appeals to retailers? Because you've listed some great points around Trade Square. Is there anything in particular that usually really catches their attention? I think it's the, it's the opportunity to sell to a new customer. That's the mm. big one. So I'll give you an example of pets is quite a strong category for us. And we're having now customers who are pet grooming businesses. Now, you go to a grooming business and it's not a retailer. But, I mean, what a great place to try and sell accessories. You know, oh, I need a new leash or I need a new collar or I need a new coat or maybe some treats. And we have a lot of Australian-made treats for pets. So a grooming business now turned into a retailer. That's so awesome. for a lot of these businesses, those are not their regular customers. You know, they might wholesale to pet shops. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden... A few thousand pet grooming businesses are buying things that they can retail in their business. So that what appeals to businesses because we're opening a new channel for them and a new customer base. Yeah. And, um, you know, the challenge around marketplace, which is the same challenge in B2C is people thinking, Oh, why won't I just sell direct or I'll get my own customer? Well, the reality is customers are shopping on marketplaces. And if you think that you don't need to be there. All you're doing is you're missing on sales that you could have had. It's not, if you think that the customer will just leave the marketplace and come directly to you, you're dreaming. That's not happening. Yeah. You know, the customer yeah. wants to buy Nike shoes on catch. If they can find the Nike shoes they want on catch, they'll buy it. They're not going to go, oh, let me go to the Nike shop. <laughs> right? Because it's, it's the same product. Yeah. yeah. Now, you are an advisor, an investor, a board member, uh, a leader across a number of businesses. And have a really strong track record. What has got you excited about retail and e-commerce at the moment? What have you got your eye on? I mean, I think the the world of retail is, you know, it's constantly changing. Obviously, everyone says that. I think physical retail, I've said, I think probably eight years ago, before COVID-19, that the model of retail needs to change, where, you know, physical stores essentially become, should become flagship stores, an experiential place, and transaction is happening online. Mm-hmm. Right. I think online is, is great. It's fun, but it's always going to be somewhat transactional. Yeah. And so I think that the, the, my mind is, is how we're going to see this change happening where stores become even more exciting, maybe even bigger with more experiential. And then the trading essentially happens mostly online. What excites me is to see, I think logistics and supply chain is a big, big challenge mm-hmm. right now. I'm excited to see how that's going to change. With deliveries, I'm, you know, I'm also quite conscious around global warming and environment changes. And so I'm, I'm actually keen to see how the world is going to change to accommodate because, you know, obviously online is less friendly for the environment compared to retail. Because in retail, Mm -hmm. you move one truck to a store and you, you know, in online, it's a lot of movement. So that's a world that needs to change. You know, we need to move everything to electric 
deliver vehicles. We need to create more efficiencies. So I think, and customers will become more and more conscious and more aware of it. So customers mm. will want to see what are you as a business doing to improve the to improve the world. So whether it's reselling of secondhand goods like people are doing now, whether it's consolidating deliveries, whether it's using electric vehicles, whether it's emission uh, reduction, I think that's that that's that's coming. Everyone's got to play their part. Exactly. That's I think that's a big big part where everyone needs to be uh, quite conscious of. I mean, I'm interested in Australia in particular. The B2C space is very crowded with marketplaces. Mm. You know, Amazon has proven over time that they, you know, ultimately they have a lot of uh, funds and they're willing to to invest and and get the right thing. But I think I think Catch and Kema Group is also investing heavily and they they're doing some of the right things there. I think there's probably an opportunity being created with with them going to a bit of mainstream for someone to capture their sort of deals side of things. Yeah. So I think there's there's all these dynamics that keep uh, keep changing. And ultimately, I think there'll be specialty would have a room. So for example, if you're a specialty in a category, you want to be really the number one. You need to own the category. So if you're in beauty, you want to be owning beauty, whether it's for your own stock, your white label, your brands, and your marketplace. Yeah. So I think we'll see more marketplace coming up and as they'll become niche, right? So there'll be a niche for outdoor. Mm, you don't think we've reached marketplace saturation at all? Do you still think there's a lot of growth in it? I think in a department store we have, but in a niche we haven't, right? So okay. if you think about, you know, if I'm an outdoor retailer, I should be building the number one marketplace for outdoor where it's something that the big guys can't do. The big guys can't build expertise in one category. They can't enhance it with content, with video, with experiential because they have to accommodate for everything. Mm. But if you're doing only outdoor, think about the amount of content you can create, the videos, the instructions, how you can bring a marketplace into it, the events. So this is what I would, would go for right now. I would find a niche and I would say, okay, I want to focus on this niche and I want to be able to be the number one for this, um, this space. And I think that's what we're going to see. We're going to see, you know, more specialty becoming just a bigger specialty, but encompassing a bigger space. Yeah. And it almost feels like if you are that department store, you're up against Amazon, which is the yeah. benchmark. But if you're a specialty, you, you're judged on a different set of criteria, right? Yeah. I mean, think about it. if you want to buy a bicycle, you wouldn't be buying bicycle on, on Amazon or on Cat. You would go to a bike shop. I'm not talking about a $150 bike. I'm talking about like bicycle and, and people will buy it online. So the range, the education, the knowledge, the service, it all comes to play where a specialty can do it, where a generalist can't do it. E-commerce retailer Aussie Candle streamlined its packaging processes with the help of our partner Signet by incorporating the FillPack Void Filling Solution. FillPack is a 100% recyclable void fill solution that effectively fills empty spaces in a box, which prevents product movement during transit. Makes sense? Since making the switch, Aussie Candles improved packing efficiency by 60% and have achieved a 100% product protection during transit. Some would even say they're shining a light for smart packaging. Signet has over 5,500 packaging solutions that help leading e-commerce businesses step up their packaging game. Visit signet.net.au to find out more. It must seem funny to you. I remember when Catch first launched their marketplace, you would have been the first retailer in Australia to have a dedicated 
marketplace open up and invite others into your marketplace. But since then, yep. we've obviously had Bunnings, Woolies launched their one last week. The iconic have yep. launched market. Everyone's got a marketplace. There's actually, you know, software for marketplaces yep. its own industry now. It must seem yeah like you guys were so far ahead of the curve in that thinking. Yes and no. I mean, I joined in 2006. Gabi and Hezi told me that they've actually had that idea even two, day, two years earlier before I joined, but it, they just couldn't get it executed. Hmm. And you know how it is. I mean, ultimately, ideas, I have a million ideas. I wake up in the morning with three ideas, but it's all about execution, right? How do you get things to happen? And I think one of the things that I, I do pretty well is execution. And by the way, it's not me. It's, it's, it's building a team. So I build relationship with lots of executives and lots of people, uh, who I have fun working with and we share, uh, lots of common values. And then when I go into a project, I bring my people with me. And, and sometimes I also use existing teams, but it's all about, you know, just cut to the chase, cut, get it done. And one of the things I'm not a corporate guy. So when I'm asked to present a 30 page presentation and do all this, that, that's not for me. I, I have, I, if I have a vision and I see it in front of me, I just go for it. Mm. And I, I was starting to tell you about the trade square thing. I haven't actually finished the story. So I was saying that, and it, but it actually talks to this point. I didn't do international research. Only after I started the idea and I built it, then I realized in the US, there's a business called fair.com, which has just raised, already raised $600 million and they got a market cap of $7 billion. There's a Europe one called Anchor Store and there's one in, in Asia. So there's actually quite a few doing what I'm doing, but I actually didn't look them up. Mm. because it was so vivid in my mind, this needs to happen here. And I was so sure and confident about it that I just went for it. <laughs> but, you know, in other ways, you say, oh, you should be spending on all this research. You have to go with your gut. Um, and I'm so, I'm, and I'm, I'm a commercial guy, right? Like I've been retailer, I've been on wholesale. It's just, it just it was a no-brainer on all sides. So I just, but this is the thing, right? Like when you believe in something and you know something, it's about execution and it's about, the daily decision you have to make, the way you interact with your team, and it's about the culture you build. Because if you build a culture of, of execution, of getting things done, then, then things will be done. And yeah, things might be wrong. You might make some mistakes. You might be going to fix it. But if you've got the right culture and everyone's aligned around it, everyone wants to make things happen, then eventually you get there. Mm. You know, you pivot along the way, but and that's the most important thing. I mean, culture for me and people, and that's why I say it's so important because, you know, my co-founder, Enat, and I, we, we, we have a lot of conversations around the, the building a great culture and building a great team and having the support because we can't guarantee everything's going to work. We can't guarantee everything's going to be successful. What we're going to guarantee is that we're going to keep trying and then we're going to do it with integrity. Yep. And when I say integrity, I mean, if something's not working, I'm not going to keep doing it because I made a presentation two months ago to the CEO and I said, I'm going to do it. So now I have to prove it that it's working. That's the bullshit in corporate, yeah. right? Because you think about, oh, I said that if we do it this way, it's going to work, but it's not working, but I'm going to have to make it work because I said it's going to work. No, it's not working. You just stop it and you move to something else. You pivot. You know, we did, we did something with, um, with Catch. We tried to do a live video streaming with gaming and gamification. We spent a lot of money on it, but it didn't work. I mean, it worked nicely, but it didn't really work as well as yeah. we wanted. We stopped it, mm. right? That put ego aside. It's about what's right for the business. And the problem is, this is a big problem in, in corporate where, you know, it's, it's the individual first before the company. Like you put yourself in your career before, before you put what's right for your company. And that results in bad decisions or in throwing, you know, 
good things after bad things because oh, I made a commitment or I made a presentation or whatnot. Mm. It's funny that you mention pivoting and being agile, moving fast, because one of the things that I read in the research of TradeSquare was around how you did not set this up as a proof of concept. You were like, we're going yes. big with this right from the start. What was interesting in what you just said then is that just because you're pivoting and you're making quick decisions doesn't mean you have to start small. Yeah, or shortcut. Or so, yeah, I mean... When, when I meant, what I meant is, look, we went with Miracle, which is an enterprise platform. It's expensive. It's hard to implement, but it supports growth. I mean, Bunning, Sketch, uh, yeah. Walmart, Mexico, Best Buy, they all run on this platform. And, I'm and they very, just raised very a huge amount of money, right? Yeah. And look, I, uh, the CEO is a really good friend of mine. And, um, and I, you know, when they did the first round, I was there like, we were the fastest growing marketplace. I visited them in Paris and I did all the calls with their investors to talk about it, you know, how they, so we have a very close relationship, but, but it's, it's an enterprise solution, right? It's, I mean, setup costs could cost you $250,000, just a fee. And then you got to do all the technology and then you got to pay. It's not cheap, but I didn't want to go in, in, in a year and a half time say, Oh, I now have to replace my, uh, my stack or I have to rewrite the code or I have to all this. There's no point. The downside of it is it costs you more money. I mean, it was more expensive mm. and we burnt it through a lot more cash. But, you know, I was quite confident in the concept in, and in my ability to raise money from my investors who trust me that I said, we'll just go for it. Mm. Nice. The pivoting, for example, was, okay, from just gifted homeware to more generally B2B marketplace where it does facilitate retail, but it also facilitates others. Um, you know, that's where trades will connect. That's another pivot. Those are the type of pivots that I'm talking about. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, you mentioned um, you've got a great network of mentors, teams, and friends around you. You know the people that can get shit done, that can go on your yes. execution path with you. What are the personality traits that stand out for you that make great retailers? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say retailers though. I mean, I have to, to, to say that it's not about retail. It's about, you know, first of all, we always look at traits. What are the personality traits you're looking for in people, right? Number one is integrity. Integrity is, the, is really important because I don't want to have to think if this person is telling me the truth or not, he's trying to bullshit me or whatever. I want, I want honest people with me. So integrity is one. The second one is someone who gets shit done. No excuses. I, I like people coming to me with solutions, not with problems. So you say, we have a problem with this, this and that, and I have a few solutions to offer. Or do you have a solution? But not giving up. Like giving up yep. is not an option. So it's got to be a go-getter execution, no bullshit. That, that's, a, that's another thing. I like people who have, I, I have fun being around, right? Like it's really important. If you're not willing to, if you're not going to have a beer with this guy, don't work with him. Because, <laughs> you got to enjoy what you day, do. Exactly. At the end of the day, you're having fun. If you're not having fun, then you're not going to do good work. Because, I mean, you spend so much time at work. You want to make sure that uh, you're having fun with the people around you and it feels like a family and you do more for the business and for the people around you. You know, I, I, I'll tell you, when I was, um, it's, kind of, it's kind of a funny story, but when I, I was in primary school, you know, and the teacher was saying, asking us the question, when you're in the army and you've been shot at and you run forward against the bullet flying against you and you fight back, what is it that keeps you going? Like, what is it that makes you run and, 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 and fight back? 
Is it, what do you think? Is it your mom? Is it your parents? Is it your children? What is it that makes you? It was something that sort of always resonated with me. And, mm. and then I'm thinking about it like I was like 12 years old, right? And the answer she gave us was, you're doing it for your mate who's next to you. You're not doing it for your parents, not for your children, for the one running next to you because you know he's doing it for you. Yeah. And you're doing it together as a team. He's protecting you, you're protecting him, you're fighting together. It's the same in a business, right? I had the same, and I, by the way, I, you know, I spent three years in the, in the army, so I know exactly what she was talking about when I was actually there. But when I was at catch, most of my team members were my, 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 we were on a team. Mm. I knew that they would stand up for me and I stood up for them. I, I was on the fence for a few of these guys a few times and they did the same for me. Mm. So this is how, this is how you lead a team, right? And you make them know that you're there for, for them and they'll be there for you. And, and, and that's very critical for me. So I want to do, I want to do business with people I feel are going to lay on the fence for me and I'm going to do the same for them. And it's interesting that the point you make there, like it ties perfectly into that authenticity and what you were talking before about owning up to your mistakes because you can only be there for people who are honest about themselves yes. and can own up to their own mistakes rather than you feel you have to kind of always point it out for them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's um, also I'm, I'm not a micromanager, right? So I'm a very macro manager, um, you know, and that's why, I mean, CEO is really, I could do the job, but it's not my natural inclination, right? Because, you know, if you give me a business that needs transformation, that's, that's for me. If you need a business to grow from 1 million to 100 million, it's for me. Once you get to a point where, okay, it's doing $100 million, we want another 10% growth, that's on me, right? Because I'm not a captain who just takes a ship and, and I'm, I'm the guy who will build a ship and I'll yeah. sell it. But I'm not going to sell the ship because it's just not my trade. I usually say that if you give me something that's working really well, I'll probably ruin it because I'll try <laughs> to change it. I'll try to make changes. And that's not me. I'm, I'm making changes. I'm, so, and it works really well for me because I know how I, I, I know how to fix things and fix problems. But I'm not, I'm not a very, you know, like the CEO who takes everyone for monthly reviews and do yeah. their mentoring and all that bullshit. That's not me. I'm like a leader who goes, runs really fast forward and everyone has to run with me. And I need people who can run with me and can think on their feet and execute and not need me to give them exactly everything, every point of what they need to do. I give them the vision. I give them the tools. And the other thing is, you know, because I come from a small business background, and when I say small business, I mean, my background is I've, I'm a lawyer and I've studied software technology. So I've, I know technology, I know legal, I know business, but I had my own retail store. I had one jewelry store in Bondi Junction, which my wife and I built. We built it into a 30-store chain, but I did the MYOB accounting myself. I did the buying. I did the deliveries. I did the merchandise. I did everything, right? I did the marketing. So I went through all these different parts of the business. And then as the business grew, I became more knowledgeable. So it's very important, I think, for someone in my position or anyone in a leadership position to understand everything, mm. to be able to have a... a if you're talking to your CMO, be able to talk marketing, be able to understand what is this CM, what is this year, how does it work, what is the mechanism, what is CRM, what is life cycle management, to understand finance. I mean, I can understand finance like a CFO, balance sheet, profit and loss. I can understand merchandising, technology, super critical. Hmm. And I think one of the problems that I've seen is where you got uh, people in very leadership position, but they come from understanding only one part. And they can't relate to the other parts, right? So they think about marketing from an accounting point of view. They're not thinking about 
marketing from a marketer point of view. It requires a certain personality of someone who's really, really open-minded. And I like Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio has a philosophy that says extreme open mind, right? That says you just have to be so open-minded about everything. And this is actually me. I'm a very open-minded guy and I'm actually, I change my mind quite often. But I change my mind often because someone comes, someone comes into my office and points out something that I said yesterday. I was very determined. This is the right way to do it. And then he walks in the next day and says, Oh, by the way, this is, I'll say, you're right. Actually, you're right. I was wrong. That's <laughs> your idea. I have no ego about making decisions or about saying something. And then I have to prove I was right. Now, sometimes yeah. I'm, I'm, I have a high conviction that I'm right and then I'll fight for it, but extreme open mind and knowing what you don't know yes. is more important that you know what you know. So I, I always ask myself what I don't know, what people know better than me, what, what value. Hire people that are smarter than you in what they do, right? You get an, a marketing guy trying to get. Another, another mistake, I mean, I'm just sharing different things here, but that's another mistake I used to do is I used to hire people who are exactly like me, but that's a problem because you actually need people who complement your skills. Mm. So for example, I'm not a very organized operational guy. Right. Like I don't keep diaries and, and, and Mark is like, you know, I'm exactly opposite than my wife, for example, who's like super organized. I have a very good memory. So I remember a lot and I use my phone. Like I put everything in my diary and my phone. And that's pretty much as well as organized as I get. But you can't have that as an operations manager. Right. So and the problem is the first operation manager I hired was another guy like me, entrepreneur, a big thinker. Who's going to get the job done? Like you gotta get the so so the next guy I look for operation is like someone's methodology you know has got a good methodology well organized and the beauty thing about I think Anat and I she's the CEO so we we complement each other perfectly like I told her you're like my business wife I have a personal <laughs> life and you're my business wife first of all I have to say I find that um, women who are leaders have such a higher level of empathy that they do such a better job. And I mean, I, and I admit, I'm, I don't know. And there's obviously men who've got empathy, but, but women naturally mm. have more empathy. Yep. And it's so important for a team to have good level of empathy because people love working with me, not because of my empathy, put it that way, right? They love working with me because I inspire them, because I'm, I move things quickly. They can get shit done. There's no bullshit. But I'm not really a, a shoulder to cry on. People need that sometimes. So... Anat is, on the one hand, very analytical, very smart, very entrepreneurial. She's like the startup person. But at the same time, she brings that value of being able to build an amazing culture. I had a guy who went in there recently to do some work. And he said to me, man, the, the team you built here, it's an unbelievable. And the culture you've got. and you know, So that's so important. Mm. So I think Anat, for example, compliments me. We compliment each other. I'm the crazy ID guys who bring these crazy things and well network and brings all the sellers and she's the one who actually gets it and make make things happen. Yeah. So it's very important to choose a good partner. And did that self-awareness of what you're good at, what you're not good at, did that come naturally after a while? Did it click in at a certain age? Yeah. It's a <laughs> it's a good point. I there's there's a guy who does some advising for us on recruitment and hiring and and I had a conversation with him and he said to me, look, there are three different personality traits and you're a 10 at entrepreneurship, something like that. He had a definition for it. And he said, that's very rare. It's very hard to find people who tend there. But on organizing, you're six. So I said to him, okay, how do I get six to eight? And he said to me, don't bother. 
Don't bother about it. And he said, this is what's going to happen. If you're going to try to bring your six to eight, the amount of effort you're going to try and put there is going to bring your 10 to eight or to seven. So the things you're doing really well is going to, you're going to detract because the energy you're going to have to exert to get your, to be organized is just so much. It's going to take away from what you do really well. Mm. So that's one. Then I did a few other, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time on, you know, optimizing team building and, and diagnosing people and how to choose people to interview. It just, slowly started to occur to me what I'm really good at and what I'm not good at. And then the fact is you you hire people for what they're good, not about hoping that they'll improve what they're not good at. So you hire for traits. And I just realized what my traits are. And my traits are to get things, you know, like organized, right? So I can organize, yeah. I can take an idea and I can vision how that idea can be executed. Then I put the team together. Then I put the business plan together. Then I bring the investor. And then I, I follow them with strategy and with a really good network. And that's the secret. So for me now, the biggest challenge is finding good people all the time, expanding my network and, and, and building relationships with people that I can mentor and help them. Ultimately, one of the things I say to people is, you know, if they're in their early 40s, I'm saying to them, you got to stop thinking about your next job as another job that's going to make you another $20,000. I mean, I had a conversation with this with someone yesterday because ultimately you're just going to stay in the rat race for, for, mm-hmm. the, for the rest of your life. How do you get out of the rate race? You join a startup company or a new company or a company that's going to reward you for the outcome. Don't worry about making 250000 or 270 or 280000 Don't waste my time talking about $30,000. Like I had a conversation with someone yesterday. Tell me what are, you, what are you going to make in three years' time when this business gets sold for, I don't know, $50 million or $100 million or there's an exit. You need to make $1 or $2 million because when you pay capital gain tax on that, you end up with 75% of that money. So if you made a million dollars, you get up $750,000. How many years would it take you to save that money? Even if you made the extra $20,000 a year or $50,000 a year, over 10 years, you'll make 500000 less tax, you got two fifty. Yeah. You need 30 years to save $750,000 net, right? <laughs> so so you really got to focus on and the, the mind shift. And this, is, this, this has been my mind from, from day one. I'm not interested in, I'm not looking for a yeah. job. I'm looking for a partner. I'm looking for an yeah. equity. I'm looking for something that, and I'm happy to take a low salary. I'm happy because it's, yeah, I mean, you can't have it all. You can't have a high salary no. and I have equity, right? You got to risk something. And so you say to the guy who hires you, you say, look, man, you got a great business. I'm happy to come. I know what I can do. I know I want $300,000, but you know what? I'll take 250 or I'll take 220, but I want, I want more percentages in the business. Mm-hmm. I want to be sharing your success. And for an owner, it should make absolute sense. And it's I'll tell you the trade yeah. And the trade Swiss story is, even though I founded it, and even though I put the initial fund and everything, I gave away sixty percent of the company to the employees. So my partner and all the other ones they have sixty percent. So we're all going to get diluted now with we're raising more money. But for me, it's more important that everyone works feels like they have an ownership and they have a part of it, and it's there. And that's why they're working like that. And the, by the way, we didn't pay wages for the first four months. Everyone worked for the equity and yep. then we raised money and then they got lower salaries. So, you know, but they're working for the big dream and they, you know, they could make, some of them could make $5 million if this becomes really successful. That's brilliant. Mate, I don't think you've left anyone who's listened to this uninspired. Everyone should be <laughs> finishing up thinking about what the next rocket ship is that they're jumping on. And we really appreciate everything yeah. that you've shared, both about Tradesquare, but probably more importantly about your journey and what you've learned along the way. Yeah, and look, what, what I suggest is, is 
if you have a really good idea and a dream, I, I used to just sit down and write it down on my computer and started to formulate it and how we go, da, 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 and then share it with me because mm. I'm at a point where I can help businesses sometimes. My journey now is trade square. So I think my mind was going to be 100%, but I can point them in the right direction sometimes. Mm. Uh, the other thing is we're looking for talent. I think trade square, um, I'm hoping we'll have a big announcement coming soon and we're going to be adding people to the team and we need, we need some really good talent to join us. And by the way, I feel like a recruitment company because over the last 12 months, I probably placed eight or nine people in jobs where I've been asked, do you know this? Do you know that? And I'll just try to do an introductions. So I think there's, uh, I haven't, I haven't started their recruitment company, even though I should think about it. You better be careful because Again, that's how I, that's how I started my recruitment company. <laughs> no, but the point, the point, the point is I feel that I'm help, if I'm helping a, a, a company fine and a person fine, I mean, I'll make enough money from other things. I don't need to make it from the that's recruitment. It. But, but uh, you know, I'm building relationship with people and I'm doing good things for them. And hopefully yeah. in the future, I can ask them for a favor and they'll do it for me. Good things come back around, especially in an industry as um, small and tight as yeah. um, retail and e-com in Australia. Now, Nati, if people have listened to this and they go, I need to get in touch, what's the yeah. best way? So email is my email, obviously. You can put it on the podcast, Nati at halfazgroup.com or my WhatsApp, which is Six one four double three double two six zero five two. Beautiful. We've never had a WhatsApp number being shared before. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. No, because well, actually, my Australian number is. Um, I use. I have a local number here, so my Australian number is only the WhatsApp. If you call me on Australian number, only when I'm in Australia, which I'm hoping soon, when things open up, I'd be able to come home for a visit. I've got you know half my family is back there, so I've got to come for a visit. Yes, and for those jealous of your adventures, what's the next country on the um, itinerary? I've been to Amsterdam twice in the last month. It's an unbelievable city. It's one of the best cities in the world. And um, yeah, I think I'm going to, I've been to Tel Aviv a few times. It's also an unbelievable city you got to visit, especially if you're in technology. And I think um, I might be in that uh, retail show, web show in uh, Portugal early November. So it could be interesting to maybe if, if things are open up for people to come from Australia, we can do a little delegation. Do you know, I was in a... Um, in Amsterdam, I was in a in this fintech shop. Australia had a little stand there. Ah. It was so weird. It was the only country. And they were, what they were doing, they were hunting for talent. <laughs> so it was the trade department trying to hire people in the fintech space hmm. to move to Australia. Ah. I don't think that time it was very well with all no, the lockdowns. <laughs> no, and everything's awesome. open. But anyway, we'll be, things will be better soon. So great to reconnect with you and thanks for sharing today. No problem. Really appreciate it. Thanks, mate. We'll talk soon. So how do I wrap that up into three, just three bits of practical advice? I think the beauty of an episode like this one with Nati is that everyone is going to relate to a different bit and take their own little bit of gold out of it. But If I look back, here are my three pieces of practical advice. Number one, fresh stock sells like magic, spoken like a true retailer. Rather than doing big orders of stock that you struggle to sell through, can you buy more regular, smaller batches of stock? You may not make quite the same margin, but you will have a lot more to say and a lot more to excite your customers with. Number two, the rise of niche marketplaces. 
Even though it feels like we're at marketplace saturation, everything we see, everything we hear, it feels like it's about marketplaces. Nadi's view is that there's still plenty of growth for niche marketplaces. So if you are a D2C business, it might be worth thinking about how you can own the category rather than just competing for your brand. Number three, set yourself up for scale, but be prepared to change. As you heard from Nati, despite the little research he did, he was convinced, convinced that Trade Square was going to be big. So he built it with the foundations to scale. Now, it didn't mean that he couldn't change along the way, but he invested early in those foundations so that when the growing started, he could get on with growing rather than going back and revisiting those foundations. To finish up, I have three resources for you. Firstly, if you're a first-time listener of Add to Cart and you want to stay up to date with new episodes, head over to addtocart.com.au and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. We'll let you know every time a new episode drops as well as giving you my three takeaways from each episode and a link to the transcripts so you can know that this is an episode that you want to dive straight into. Secondly, if you want a weekly roundup of the best e-commerce case studies, tools, and research, sign up to the High Five Friday newsletter, which is delivered to inboxes at 8 a.m. every Friday morning. I read all the e-commerce news and send you the bits that I think you can take action from. Sign up at 12high12high.com.au forward slash high five. And the last thing, if you are looking to explore your next e-commerce opportunity, head over to esuitetalent.com.au. We are a dedicated e-commerce talent agency connecting the best e-commerce talent with the fastest growing brands. Check it out, sign up to the email and get in touch with me if you want to discuss your next move. Until next time, thanks for listening and keep those customers adding to cart.